Your state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. Back to throw is Aiden Smith. Steps throw. Pass picked off. Intercepted. It's picked off by Lamar Jackson. He's to midfield. And he goes down at the 48-yard line of Northwestern. Lamar Jackson gets his second pick of the year. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. And here we are, Thursday night, Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you had a great day today. Whoa, what a beautiful fall day. It was in and around Lincoln, Nebraska. Gorgeous temperature in the upper 60s. Not a lot of wind. Beautiful, beautiful time. In fact, you drove by Haymarket Park, saw the boys out taking some batting practice and swung on by to watch a little BP today, huh? You know, uh, baseball weather right now is so hit and miss with the playoffs and just in general because you've got teams all over the country with fall ball, but you've got (laughs) – some games you watch Major League Baseball with players and hoodies, and then, you know, the Dodgers are out. But, you know, then you've got Houston who, <laughs> you know, they're, they've got nice weather in Texas. And so. they got the dome. Yeah, but yeah. it's just it's funny how, you know, this time of the year, you just never know what you're going to get. Softball, and we heard from Ronda Ravel on Monday's show, they're done. They finished off their fall season on Sunday. The Husker baseball team will have a 12-inning exhibition on Saturday, 1 o'clock at Haymarket Park. Gates are open, free to the public. Go out if you want to watch some Husker baseball on Saturday. As they won't play two games, they'll play a 12-inning game. They did the same thing a couple of weeks ago down in Wichita against Wichita State. And the forecaster Saturday looks great, so it should be a really good day if you want to go out and catch Will Bolt's Huskers. We'll get the head coach on once they wrap up fall ball here at the end of the week. Here's what we have coming up on the program tonight. Parker Gabriel, the Lincoln Journal star, will join us. We'll get his evaluation of Husker football as they hit their first bye week. Nebraska 4-3 and three through 7 games, 5 games to go, beginning with Indiana next Saturday at 2.30 at Memorial Stadium, and then it's off to Purdue, and then another bye week for the Big Red, so they have two bye weeks in the last six weeks of the football season. So Parker will join us here a little bit later on in the hour. Hour number two, here we go, Nebraska football show and the head coach, Scott Frost, will be here for an hour. So get your comments, questions ready. We'll hear from him, kind of his thoughts about the bye week, what's been accomplished, uh, what's kind of been the emphasis for this football team, how did they react to the, the rough outing in Minneapolis the other night. So the head coach in studio for a full 60 minutes coming up in hour number two. Third hour of the show, Teddy Greenstein stops by. He always does that on Thursday nights for us. And we'll check in with Kevin Suits, the longtime sports director at 1011 Sports. Those guys are really busy. I mean, really busy this time of year. A lot of the fall sports are wrapping up. I know fall golf, uh, high school golf ended earlier this week. You've got some cross-country districts that are going on. You have state softball going on. Uh, so a lot of busy things. And then still high school football about to wind down their regular seasons. And then obviously the playoffs will be here before you know it for high school football. So we'll talk to a lot of things with Kevin coming up uh, in our number three. And as always, phone lines open and available for you at 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. Ben, I, I haven't really known how to act this week. It has been Huskers had played 24 straight football games without a bye week during their seasons. We didn't get one last year. Uh, and the year before, uh, there was a bye week early, but not to, didn't in you know, a long run of games at the end. Uh, I'm not used to these. I don't quite know how to act. Yeah, it's definitely weird. You know, even on Monday, not having a press conference. Where do I go? Waking up and, you know, you're, you're waiting for 
practice to get over and finding out what's happening at practice and of course no availability this week so that's that's certainly different it's yeah it's felt it's felt a little weird especially since we didn't have one last year and was it two years ago that we had one week 11 yeah played 11 games and then finally got one great so yeah i mean it's the the whole bye week thing is foreign to husker fans just bizarre i really am gonna be thrown off in a couple weeks when we have the second one uh in the year so that that's crazy stuff Right now, though, we're delighted to be joined by Parker Gabriel of the Lincoln Journal Star. How do you handle the bye week? I've been, I'm all out of, I'm out of whack, Parker. I'm not used to bye weeks. This is crazy. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's see, and and Thursday is particularly tough for me because not only do I not know what to do with the bye week, but I don't know what to do hitting leadoff for the head football coach on on Sports Nightly either. There he goes. Yeah, going to be tough. Did it's you, it's did, a week did, of adversity. Did you take in Guns and Roses at least this week, or? I did not. The columnist went. Uh, he did. Was there. And, of course, we had a great review. Yeah, yeah. I think he uh, took, took the wife, and they went. And I know uh, El Kent Wolgamot, our great um, uh, arts and entertainment writer, was there. Um, but I, I did not. Yeah, that would be more probably Sip's era than yours, <laughs> right? That's, yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, there you go. All right. Um, well, obviously the, the Huskers hit the bye week kind of in a thud with the, the performance they put on Saturday night in Minneapolis. What would you make of the coach's comments at the brief press gathering that he had on Tuesday? Um, well, I hope that he gets to play some golf in Ireland in, in 2021. I think we would all like to, to do that, so we'll see how that goes. Um, in the meantime, I, I – I tended to, to agree mostly with what he said about, you know, watching the tape back and, and the physicality aspect of it um, as it pertains to the defense. You know, I thought um, when you watch it, you know, there's plays where the defensive line reset the line of scrimmage um, against Minnesota's offensive line, and they're still getting big, you know, chunks of yards on the ground, and that speaks to a problem um, besides besides physicality offensively, um, you know, uh, at times it wasn't pretty. Um, Noah Bedrill, you know, played pretty well. You can tell he's a, a gamer and he knows exactly what he's trying to do. But um, overall, you know, there's you can dream up all of the complicated problems that you want in the world in football. But um, if you can't run the ball and you can't stop the run, um, that's not a real great starting point. And that both of those things were, I thought, apparent um, for Nebraska against Minnesota. They certainly – needed the, the the bye week to try to get some people healed up, namely the quarterback position with Adrian one. And then Noah left the game in the fourth quarter with a look like an apparent leg injury. And then Wandale going out in the first half. I mean, that's, that's a chunk of their weapons, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. And then I think, you know, a lot of, the, a lot of the things that go, you know, unseen um, are the things that guys play through. I mean, we all remember, you know, a guy like Cam Taylor Britt um, going down uh, earlier in the season um, and then or, – or even a guy like Brendan Hymas, you know, and then they don't miss any time. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean those guys are just fine, you know. I mean, there's definitely times – there was actually a moment on, on Saturday against uh, Minnesota where Cam Taylor Britt, like, very clearly um, was feeling – was feeling it in that right shoulder area, which is what he, you know, what was originally hurt when it looked, it looked like a bad one earlier in the season, I think against Northern Illinois. And so um, it's not just, obviously there'd be plenty to be worried about if it was, if it was Adrian Martinez and Noah Vedral and Wondell Robinson. Um, But it's guys like J.D. Spielman and Maurice Washington too, who have been beat up a little bit early in the season. And it's a bunch of guys, I'm sure, Every guy that's played significant snaps on defense uh, can use the rest too. So it makes for an interesting, you know, 
um, balancing act between um, getting in the work that you need to get in and 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 getting back to the basics, as as Scott said, they they were going to focus on this week, and then also obviously uh, getting those guys some needed rest. You mentioned from the game Saturday night, didn't stop the run, couldn't get the run game going. Which of those two, and this is hard, which of those two is easy easier to fix? Well, I think um, stopping the run, you know, and, and I say that a little bit tentatively because they're giving up 267 a game on the ground um, in four Big Ten games. And so it's not like, obviously, Ohio State, you know, ran for 320 or something like that, and they're, they're, they're dynamite offensively, defensively, any way you want to slice it. But, you know, there's good, there's some really good rushing attacks still coming up on the schedule. Um, and that's one where just given the physical defensive line and the makeup of the defensive line, um, that's one where when you see correctable mistakes, a guy not in a gap, um, a guy overrunning a play, so on and so forth, those things, there's a reason why that's happening. You know, they're either – um, you know, I don't think it's probably understanding assignment, but, you know, the offense is manipulating someone's eyes or, or whatever it might be. But those things are, are easier to fix. Um, it's not to say I don't think they can make improvements on, on offense because I think they can. But I think they're a little bit at this point. Um, it seems to me that they're a little bit closer to the mark defensively than offensively. Parker Gabriel's with us. He covers Husker football for the Lincoln Journal Star. You can also read his work online at journalstar.com. Health is certainly an issue for every football team. They haven't been besieged with injuries. They've had the little nicks. You mentioned Hymas, Cam Taterbridge, Sherp, Spielman missed the half of a game. Northwestern, they, they haven't been hit a lot with guys who have season enders. Right? I mean, Deontay Williams might be of their top 30 or 40 guys, might be the only one that's out for the year. So in some ways, through seven games, they've been okay in that category, haven't they? Yeah, they have been. And, you know, there's never a good time for, for something like that, to, you know, for an injury like that to happen. But one of the things I thought when when Wondell Robinson went down, besides the obvious, you hope he's okay, you hope he's back quickly, so on and so forth, um, it's it's really it's – a, it's an amazing quirk in the schedule the way it works this year. I mean, Nebraska and Michigan State are off this week. They're the last two teams in the Big Ten to get a bye week. But now from the day that – from when the Minnesota game ended – to November 16th, the home game against Wisconsin, there's 35 days on the calendar in two football games. And so do you want Wando Robinson to miss two games? Obviously not, but it's a time uh, in which everybody from Martinez and Robinson and, and you know, to anybody else is on the schedule where um, there's, there's 120 minutes of football in a pretty big gap. And so, you know, of all the times to have this sort of thing start accruing, um, no, no time's ideal, but this time certainly isn't the worst. Yeah, no doubt. All right, um, go take us back to the summer. We're in Chicago. Bill Moose gets surrounded in that hallway in that hotel in Chicago, and I think he raised everybody's eyebrows, and people said, what should the expectations be? And he, he mentioned a 6-6 six and six record and getting to a bowl game, and a lot of people snickered and raised their eyebrows. He might not have been that far off, right, as we look at this thing seven games in. Yeah, yeah, no, he wasn't that far off, and it, you know, it's it's a really it's a fascinating conversation, and it's one I think it's one we've had where, you know, I'm not totally I'm not totally shocked by the record necessarily four and three, and especially before the Minnesota game four and two, like that didn't it didn't surprise me that that's that's where they were record wise, but it surprised me 
like what it looked like, the process of getting there. And I guess that's probably mostly because um, I thought that, and I think a lot of people thought that the offense would maybe, you know, be hitting in a higher gear um, than they have so far this season. But it's a hard game, and it's it's not. I think for all of the talk about it being a favorable schedule, manageable schedule, so on and so forth, like it's still a Big Ten, and it's still tough. And so it's not so much like I'm not four and three doesn't doesn't totally shock me. It's the way that it's looked in getting there um, that that has a little bit. And so it still lines up. It's the same conversation, you know, any way you slice it. Uh, home against Indiana and, and road against Purdue, those two weeks before the bye week are huge because you win both of them. You can get to that sixth benchmark and sort of re-gear your, your eye down the stretch with those final three games in November. And um, if you don't win both of them, then somewhere between – Wisconsin on the road, a really tough trip to, um, to to Maryland, or coming back then on a short week to play Iowa. You got to find a way to get at least one win somewhere in there. So, um, no matter how you slice it, the next two coming up after the bye week are of, are of critical importance. Yeah, no doubt. All right, update us on Maurice Washington. I know he had a court appearance today. What came out of that? Um, absolutely nothing. Uh, <laughs> the court spokesman said they met. And it was the the preliminary examination was stayed until uh, December 12th. And then the the email I got said no significant, no other significant matters were discussed. So that's pretty much it. It's just one of those things where, you know, if, if Maurice Washington, if this was a case involving a guy who wasn't a football player, it'd be one of those things that the lawyers might even forget about, you know, a hearing like the one today, but because he's a, you know, a high profile player at a high profile school um, where we sort of track when it happens. Um, but for all intents and purposes today, nothing happened except for it just got moved a little further down the road. What, do we know if he was there? He was not. That's my understanding is he was not there. So okay. um, I don't know categorically that he's in Lincoln as the team was on the bye week, but um, we were told today that he was, he was not in the courtroom and hit. for the most part, um, I think since the first one all the way back in the spring, I think for the most part, um, he's either his lawyers, you know, stood for him in the courtroom or he's appeared um, via satellite or whatever, you know, some sort of digital appearance from from Lincoln. Odd. Really odd. All right. Uh, coaches, are, do we know are, are most of them out, some of them out, none of them out? What to do some recruiting this week? What have you been able to put together? Yeah, mo- most of them, most of them are out and, and will be out. Um, I know there's a bunch of there's a bunch of offers that went out today uh, in Oklahoma um, and Edison High, where Savion Morrison, the, the running back that got committed for one of the running backs that got committed for next year, um, is playing tonight down there. So that smells an awful lot like Ryan Held making the rounds. Um, I know um, just from from talking to the the Smothers family, Logan Smothers, the quarterback, they have committed for 2020. Um, those guys, that's, they have a huge game down in Alabama um, tomorrow night, Muscle Shoals High, where Logan plays and his dad Shane is the offensive coordinator. They play Athens for the, for the um, regional championship down there tomorrow night. Athens is the school where Logan played and, and Shane was the offensive coordinator last year. Um, so that's going to be a wild one. Mario Verduzco will be there. Um, and that, that's a big one to watch, too. So those guys are going to be all over the place, Georgia, Florida. Uh, Oklahoma, South Dakota, I'm sure they'll go up and see Nash Hopmacher. Um, they're, they're, they're all over, but you can bet the quarterback's coach will be in uh, Muffle Shoals, Alabama tomorrow night. Okay, very good. You have an off Saturday. What's the plan? Are you going to watch football? Are you going to sit on the couch all day? Are you going to go see Bob Dillman at PBA? What, what's on your docket? You know, it's funny. Uh, Ashley and I were talking about maybe going to see Bob Dillman 
and instead we opted for another musician who's not of our generation. I think we're going to go see the uh, the concert film. It's a, there's a theater in Omaha showing the premiere of the Bruce Springsteen concert film on Saturday night. Nice. So I think we might have to might have to go check that out. Very good. Okay. Well, enjoy the off weekend. We'll all be back at the grind on Monday, press conference day. Uh, we pre- we appreciate it, Parker. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Enjoy your bye weekend too. Tonight, it's the Nebraska Football Show, right here on the Husker Sports Network. Adrian gets the snap, holds it, looks, sets, throws, pass, caught, one, yeah, first down, gets on the 20, 15, shoots the defender, 10, 5, touchdown, Nebraska, Juan Dale Robinson's first touchdown as a Cornhusker. A weekly look inside the Cornhusker football program. Back to throw is Aiden Smith, steps, throws, pass, picked off, intercepted, it's picked off by Lamar Jackson, he's to midfield, and he goes down at the 48-yard line of Northwestern, Lamar Jackson gets his second pick of the year. With the head coach, Scott Frost. Adrian gets the snap, puts it in the belly of Wandale around the left side. He's got a first down, 35-30. Wandale, 25-20, 15-10-5. He is in. Touchdown, Nebraska. Brought to you by Channel Seeds. Find your Channel Seedsman at channel.com. Sponsored in part by your Midwest Ford dealers. Visit online at buyfordnow.com. Now here's the host of the Nebraska Football Show, the voice of the Huskers, Greg Sharp. Thank you. Welcome to our football show for this week. Head Coach Scott Frost in studio for the next hour. Here are the numbers if you want to be a part of this one, 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. Bye weeks. Not sure how to react. I don't know how to act. Didn't have one last year. What what have you been doing the last four or five days? Our staff hasn't had one in three years. Because of hurricanes, right? Two, you had two hurricanes and a lightning game last year, and um, you know, you get worn out a little bit through all of August and and through a seven game stretch here. The the kids, you know, we don't have a ton of depth, so the kids we are playing have, have played a lot of snaps, and they needed a break. And uh, we get a chance to get our coaches out on the road recruiting, and and that's vital for what we're trying to get done. Have you practiced this week? We practiced. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we're going to practice tomorrow morning. Okay. Just trying to get good at the fundamentals and uh, get some basics worked in a, a little bit again, and then the guys will get two days off when we start a game week for next week. Okay, needed. It's needed. I mean, you're, August is a long month to get ready for games, and then then seven great games to go, and you, you're nicked up at some spot, and you're playing guys that are probably nicked up as well that just are fighting their way through it. Yeah, I, I think it's again just a little bit of lack of depth. You have to play your guys more they're taking more snaps uh, you're practicing hard to try to keep improving and working on things uh, so the guys have been through a little bit of grind and, and they're young they're resilient but uh, it certainly can't help to get try to get healthy and we have quite a few guys nicked up so it, it's timely when you went back and watched the game did it look differently than what you thought as you watched it live uh, a little bit um, I, I think there's a portion of our team that was ready for that game went out and played physical and did their job uh, there's another portion that weren't ready to play in that type of game and um, you know I, I kind of thought we got pushed around when I was standing on the field calling the plays and as a head coach and really we didn't get pushed around on either line um, we were expecting some guys in some run fits on defense that didn't show up and, and weren't there uh, and that, that led to a huge piece of their rushing yardages there was two guys that completely took their eyes off coverage that led to two long passes on defense. And, you know, it, it's not to belittle that. That was probably 250 of their total yards just off of those mistakes. Uh, offensively, 
you know, we, we moved it pretty well in the first half and didn't capitalize on anything. Um, first drive, we shot ourselves in the foot on three different plays on the last set of downs. Um, second drive, we get down there and take a sack. And third drive, we get down to four and get a penalty. And, uh, you know, if you come away with points in, in those drives, you're in, in control of the game. And instead, you're down two scores at halftime. So uh, we, we got to keep working and making sure those mistakes don't happen. That's on us as coaches and, and on the players. And uh, it, it certainly wasn't as bad as it felt on the field, but there's still a, a ton of things that we need to improve at. Noah Vedrill's first start as a Cornhusker. How'd he do? I thought Noah did pretty well. Um, you know, you're never going to th- throw it perfect, do everything perfect. There's probably one or two throws he could have made better. Thought he ran hard, thought he made good decisions, um, graded out really well. Uh, so he he did really well for his first start. Uh, we didn't do well enough around him. Yeah, it didn't look like the moment was too big for him. He looked had an air about him, the confidence out there. Ran hard when he was given a chance, and, and obviously the, the passing numbers weren't off the charts, but some of that was some pressures and maybe just some not the right routes being run by some of the guys down the field. Well, you get on a roll of doing things and and making mistakes, or you get on a roll of things going your way. And when you're when things are going your way, you're executing a little better. You're keeping drives going. That gives you more opportunities to throw the ball and do those things. And um, we we got to be just a little bit better in, in a lot of different areas so that we can continue those drives and and uh, try to give them more opportunities. Seven games in, five to go. What's kind of been the message this week that you still have an awful lot of football, almost 50% of the season still left to be played? What's been the message? This week's been all about getting back to the fundamentals, making sure we're staying on blocks longer, making sure we're coming off better up front, making sure we're blocking better on the perimeter, um, tackling and blocking drills all week, um, kind of trying to run some of our base stuff and making sure that we can be it can be a little more reliable and we can count on it and uh, the guys have done well this week so uh, ho- hopefully this pays off a little bit down the road but uh, we have to keep working on those things because we're we're still not where we want to be in some of those areas you don't have a lot of seniors on this football team but the ones you do they have to realize the clock's ticking on their careers there's only a few more opportunities to play college football you know i think the seniors we have are, are pouring everything into it and giving us what they have um you know, it, it's a sad day when you play your last game at Memorial Stadium, but I, I know they're going to give us everything they have for the last five. Go to the phones. Adam in Sioux City, you're up with the coach. Hey, coach. Always a pleasure. Um, and I, I just wanted to say I, 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 um, I think the offensive line is the hardest thing in, in football to get up to a D1 standard because usually in high school the kids are just bigger and stronger. They overpower. Not only have to develop bodies, but develop technique. I just want to know your thoughts on that and if any of the young offensive linemen are getting ready to help us here. Yeah, um, good question and pretty observant. You know, if I had to say one of the biggest differences between coaching in the Big Ten and and coaching in a couple other conferences that I've coached in, uh, this is a grown man's league and everybody we're playing has fourth and fifth year O-linemen that have been in the system for a long time and it it's pretty hard for an 18-year-old to come in and play, especially in the Big Ten. Uh, we're really happy with our young offensive linemen. Um, they're developing. I think they're going to be really good. Um, wish they were ready now, but it, you know, it, it's just hard when you're when you're playing Wisconsin and Iowa's and Ohio State's of the world to to run 18 and 19 year olds out there. A lot of times, those kids are are more ready at, at receiver and DB in some skill spots where it isn't 
uh, quite as physical, but um, it's not going to be very long, and I think some of those kids might get a chance to play at least in four games this year. So you've been happy with that young group, what you've seen in August and in practice? I see potential there, and I see them getting better every day. And, um, you know, there's still some work to do. I think they, a couple of them need to find a little nasty yet, uh, but that kind of comes as you get older too. It's hard to, it's hard to be a bully on the football field when – when you're four years younger than people and they're learning how to do it uh i think the future's bright there but um, we're you know we're impatiently waiting for him to be ready last week at this time everybody was going well does adrian play does jd play adrian did not jd did you surprised at all that jd got himself back ready to play no i think we all thought at first jd's injury was worse than it was and it it turned out to be something that um wasn't going to hold him out and i don't expect it to going forward I thought there were some guys slipping a little bit Saturday night. Was it, was it wet out there on the field? I mean, yeah. always there was snow falling. Yeah, J.D. in particular fell down a couple yeah. times. Uh, Juan Dale, I think, lost his footing once. Yep, and um, you know, I'm not an expert on footwear, so I, I don't know for sure. It seemed like we fell down a few more times than they did, but um, we're, we're back in Memorial Stadium, and hopefully there won't be uh, snow and sleet on the ground this week. Stovall had a chance to cover a punt down around, the, and he slipped and lost his footing too. And again, it was a, the snow was blowing. It wasn't really sticking, but I'm sure it made that turf just a little bit slippery on Saturday night. I know the wind was the bigger concern. How much of a factor did that have in the game? Yeah, I didn't really notice that no. having a factor. Um, thought both teams threw it as, as well as they could have in – uh, under the circumstances, and I, I didn't really notice that being a factor. We had a decision to make coming out of halftime to take the wind in the third quarter and try to get back in the game or uh, hope we were in the game and have it in the fourth. And we decided to bet on ourselves and take the wind in the, in the fourth. And uh, I, d I don't really think that had a, a factor in the game either. We, we just shot ourselves in the foot a few more times in the third quarter, and, and the game got out of hand. But um, I didn't think the wind was a big factor in that one. But every Thursday, chance for us to go to Chicago. He's originally from New York, but now calls the second city his home. He prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate. But his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. Well, still basking in the glow, I'm sure, of his Jets' first victory of the season that you attended, correct? Well, that's so sweet that you say first victory as opposed to only victory. <laughs> <laughs> because because both apply. I am, I am one of only about 75,000 people to watch the Jets win this year. Greg, I'd say what, uh, you know, I, I generally view the NFL as a, a TV sport. You know, we cover a great game Saturday. I write a lot, you know, overnight Saturday into Sunday. And, and I view Sunday as go watch the kids play soccer, uh, watch TV, check in on the fantasy teams. You know, maybe you've uh, splashed a few chips on some games here and there. So I, I'm really not a guy who enjoys going to NFL games. I haven't loved going to Soldier Field when I have. And this game especially, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm schlepping to New York, you know, for, for a team that is just <laughs> awful, that doesn't entertain anybody. And uh, why am I doing this on short sleep after covering a, a Notre Dame game and getting home at one thirty in the morning? And then we get there, and uh, it was like a top 20 sporting event that I've ever witnessed. Um, a couple of cool things. I mean, my my daughter, Elle, and my friend's son, they went up to the first row in warm-ups just to get close, and then those people just never showed up. So they sat in the front row. We were in the third row. 
The weather was great. The food was good. Uh, the Jets actually won the game. A lot of the action was coming to our side. Joe Namath was on the field, and it was just a complete package of, uh, of enjoyment, I got to say. Very good. I think I saw something today, and this can't be right, but that 61% of the away teams have won this year. Could that be right in the NFL? I, I saw it, I retweeted it, and I, I just can't even believe it's true. That's unbelievable. It's amazing. I mean, road teams are doing well. Uh, underdogs are doing well. I guess, that, you know, that goes hand in hand. I, I just can't believe it, you know, considering what I witnessed at uh, MetLife Stadium. No, I mean, that's a small sample, but I, I, I was completely floored by that. Because also it seems like it seems that it seems the teams I pay attention to, like the Bears, the Bears are so much better at home. Like, you know, they 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 beat up on Minnesota, the, you know, the Vikings at home, and then they, I think it was considered a road game, whatever. It was in London, and then they played terribly. So that stat absolutely shocked me. I almost... It's, I wouldn't write it in a story without independently verifying it. That's how surprising that was. Wow. Well, you had a busy weekend because I know you um, you took in the Notre Dame-USC game on Saturday. What what impressions were you left with after that game? Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame is just such a solid team. Offense, defense, uh, good punter, good field goal kicker. You know, it, it's just they're in a tricky spot. You know, they lost to Georgia. Georgia now uh, has a loss to South Carolina. Uh, you know, Notre Dame can't really make hay by beating USC or even Michigan or even Stanford. So they're just kind of trapped. So on the one hand, it's it's cool to see, you know, a team perform well. I mean, I, look, your, your listeners are probably like most people here. Everybody here either loves Notre Dame or hates Notre Dame. And, and as I've always tell, told people, I'm neither of those things, you know. Um, I'm right down the middle when it comes to Notre Dame. But, but look, they have really good – kids to deal with like there really is something to that thing of a Notre Dame guy so when you're interviewing their players they certainly tend to be more articulate and more interesting than at a lot of schools Brian Kelly's pretty good with us but more so it's a solid team that like has a very very high floor so so they haven't really had any bad games this season and Ian Book is solid now you know, they led that game 20-3, to three and it looked like it was going to be a bit of a beatdown, and then USC rallied and, and scored a late touchdown to make it close. Um, but Notre Dame is just, is just solid, and, uh, you know, I, I guess I won't be carrying the Big Ten, flan- Big Ten uh, banner in a couple weeks. I, I really hope they take it to Michigan, because uh, Michigan, I feel like, is the opposite of Notre Dame. Michigan is, uh, um, you know, a lot of arrogance and not a lot of performance, and Notre Dame is going about its business the right way, and, um, you know, Certainly could end up uh, probably end up being eleven and one. Twenty six and four in their last thirty games of the Irish. That's that's pretty strong. Yeah, when they're not playing Clemson last year, uh, they were super solid, and that's the thing, and that's why I defend their name too. Because you know they're twelve and zero last year, and the haters are are saying, oh, they still shouldn't be in a playoff because they're not in a league. Well, that's ridiculous. So obviously they get waxed by Clemson, and then those people are all screaming and yelling they didn't deserve to be in a playoff. Well. Guess what? The score of that game was closer than the score was in the Clemson-Alabama game. I mean, neither was close, but you could make a case that Notre Dame was the second-best team last year. So to all those people who you know have this resentment because Notre Dame, for whatever reason, um, you know they think Notre Dame gets the breaks or they think Notre Dame's arrogant or they think they should have to join a league, it's like pipe down because this is a very, very good program. And, um, you know, if they get a chance this year to get back in the playoffs, I think they'll be solid. But I just don't see it. I mean, it, you know, you look around and 
it's hard to conceive of two SEC teams not making it. It's really hard right now to see how one Big Ten team won't make it. Then you've got Oklahoma. You've got Clemson. So it looks like Notre Dame you know, is going to be maybe the sixth team. But, hey, it is only mid-October and weird, weird stuff happens. A lot of strange things can certainly happen between now and the finish line of this season. We're visiting with Teddy Greenshot of the Chicago Tribune, who's obviously not a fan of Friday night Big Ten football games in Evanston, Illinois. <laughs> you read that correctly, <laughs> sir. Yeah, I mean, you've been to that stadium. It's in a residential neighborhood. Um, so you start with that. You start that uh, just getting in and out can be tough on a Saturday, even when they have you know 35,000 people there, let alone having every seat filled with 47,000 and change. You know, it's a stadium from the 1920s uh, that really does not do well when it's packed to the gills. Uh, talking about crazy long, you know, security lines, bathroom lines, all that kind of stuff. So uh, then uh, you add to it a Friday night game. Well, I'm sorry, but I think if you have a normal job and you work till 5 o'clock on a Friday, you should be able to still, you know, go to a football game at tailgate. I, I mean, how do you – the traffic's going to be insane, and there's really no time to tailgate before. And my larger point is, like, for what purpose? Like, like why are they doing this? So, okay, Big Ten teams have said, oh, okay, we get, you know – Exposure and revenue. Okay, exposure. Really, you want recruits watching you get your butt kicked by Ohio State? You know, you think when a recruit is seeing Ohio State 44, Northwestern to 7, that's going to help you? It didn't help Illinois last year when Illinois was on Friday night. They thought that was a brilliant idea. And then Penn State won 63 to 24. So the whole exposure thing, I don't get. I think the Big Ten gets plenty of exposure as it is. This isn't the MAC. So I, I don't think Friday nights are, are, are necessary there. And then, you know, a little more revenue. I, I mean, Jim Delaney, congrats. You, you, you squeezed more revenue out of your TV partners. So what's the result? Uh, you know, you, you get a better smoothie station or you're, you're able to hire one extra recruiting analyst. I mean, there's still only one Big Ten champion, right? So if they all have a little more revenue, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, are you going to make the case now that because of this extra revenue, the Big Ten is in a better position to win a national title. I, I don't think that's true. I think they just have a little bit more money now to pay their to pay their coaches. And as I told Jim Phillips, the athletic director, you know he's happy to, to have a little more revenue. I said, well, you know what? Then the fans want you to, to spend it on a new offensive coordinator. I think they care a little bit more about that than about having a little extra revenue for uh, you know for the weight room. So I just I don't see what the benefits are, and I see a million negatives in terms of. You know, the parking and, and a real headache for residents, it's just unnecessary. You mentioned the name Jim Delaney. He's done some incredible things as commissioner of this league, but his tenure is about up. I'm really anxious, Teddy, to hear what the new commissioner has to say about things like this, maybe even further expansion or, or where this conference goes. I know a lot of people are anxious to hear his voice. He's been very respectful of Jim, staying out, out, of, the, out of the spotlight, but uh, his time's about here, isn't it? <laughs> Greg, we, we haven't talked about this, but, but we, I, I could tell you a bunch about it. The, the league has been really completely ridiculous in terms of uh, not allowing him to speak. All right, so they didn't have him at Big Ten football media days. I understand, you know, at that point he wasn't officially on the job. It's Jim Delaney's show. That's fine. Well, why didn't you have him at basketball right. media days? And why are you not allowing us to talk to him? Like, he started working there a month ago. And they've got some people in their media relations department who just overthink this stuff 
to, to, to the nth degree. So um, apparently they've been told, oh, the president's the chancellor, so you want to have only one voice. But, I mean, you've got this new AD, and he hasn't said a word publicly since, you know, the day he was introduced. And, and here's the irony. He is, by all accounts, an incredibly charming, well-spoken guy. I mean, look, Jim Delaney's accomplished a ton of stuff, but his public persona is not exactly great. I mean, he loves arguing. I love arguing with him about stuff. But you put him up in front of cameras. First of all, he talks for 10 minutes without even taking a question. <laughs> and then, you know, some people find, you know, his style to be, uh, you know, a little gruff or arrogant. Kevin Warren, by all accounts, again, I wish I could vouch for this, but uh, is, is doing great work within the conference in terms of getting to know people. People really like him. They feel there's going to be a little more openness. And they should be trotting him in front of us instead of hiding him. It's a, it's a very strange scenario. He officially takes over, I believe, June 2nd. So we will finally hear from him uh, in the next couple months. Yeah, I can't wait for that to happen. I've got some buddies, Teddy, that have just been foaming at the mouth to get their Ryder Cup tickets. That's in Ooh. that's in Wisconsin next year, isn't it? Oh, yes, it is, my man. That's going to be October of 2020 at Whistling Straits. Somebody emailed me today, coincidentally, about some snafu with the tickets. I don't exactly know what they're talking about, but... I don't know if you've been to a Ryder Cup, Greg. It's uh, you know truly one of the top five memorable events you can go to. I went a day or two in Louisville when it was there when the U.S. won. Um, I went in Minneapolis for a couple of days and certainly covered it all when it was at Medina when when the Euros had that insane comeback on Sunday. But it's a phenomenal event. Now the tricky part is you know because they're only. X number of matches going on at one time. Sometimes you know five six matches. You've got 80,000 people on the golf course trying to watch five matches as opposed to, you know, a U.S. Open where you've got a, where you've got dozens and dozens and dozens of players on the course at the same time. So it can be tough for spectators, but it is such a spectacle. It's such an amazingly special thing. The players want to win so badly that uh, if anybody has an opportunity to buy tickets to do it, Whistling Straits is an amazingly cool course. The only negative is it's incredibly hilly, and without exaggerating, there will be a dozen busted ankles that week because people will be trying to climb up these these you know hills and they'll be sliding down. So wear your wear your spikes. <laughs> I'll warn this again this time next year. But if you can go, go because it's uh, it, it's one of the great events, uh, sporting events in the world. Very good. Well, you better you better take off and head over to Ryan Fields. So you make sure you're there by kickoff. <laughs> Amen, brother. Thank you. Delighted to be joined now by. Sports director Kevin Suits from 1011 Sports carried the Husker football and basketball shows. I'm surprised you could squeeze us in. It's a busy time, right? You got all these high school sports wrapping up the fall seasons. I don't know where you get all the time. You know, Greg, even on the bye week, it still remains busy. It's the craziest thing. You think you can come up for air for a few days, but that's not the case. The march goes on here in the fall. What do we got? We got state softball. You had state golf this week, probably some cross country. A lot of stuff happening, right? State tennis also. State, state tennis. tennis started today, and uh, they crown their champions tomorrow, Class B and Lincoln Class A. And Omaha, yeah, state softball, that's, that's a busy time right there. We've had a number of area teams do very well in Hastings, and uh, Looking forward to an exciting uh, exciting finish to that tournament on Friday. Where are we at in the high school football season? Well, how many more weeks left on the regular season? Believe it or not, it is week eight. Oh. So we have this week and next week, if you've been procrastinating, wanted to watch a game on a Friday night, 
uh, you're running out of time. Go go find one. Uh, week nine's always good. You know, you have so much at stake for a lot of teams with week nine, whether a district championship has already been won or not. You're playing for playoff seating, and for a lot of teams, you're playing just to get into the playoffs. So uh, we've really hit that point. The regular season is winding down, and there's a lot at stake starting tomorrow and then next Friday. What, uh, what teams have impressed you, whether it be Class B or Class A? I know you mostly focus on B and A's around here. Oh, Greg, you know what? It's, it's been a different season because there were so many uh, guys that graduated that were, we were used to watching for several years, and including in the highlights. I guess uh, for starters, in Lincoln, Lincoln Southeast has been very good, very consistent. They have one loss in that game. It's debatable. They some say they should have won the game. They had a field goal go through in the final seconds, but uh, it was waved off, and then they missed the retry. Uh, so Southeast is really salty. they got a great running game. Southwest, they're not too bad. Lincoln East, they're, they're taking one. Uh, you know, they've got a tough one tonight. They're losing at Millard West right now. Uh, so that's kind of the Lincoln recap right there. Southeast, really good. Lincoln East, pretty good. Not a good night tonight for them. Lincoln Southwest, they could make a statement tomorrow as they play Grand Island. But I think the two Class A Central Nebraska teams, they're two of the teams that have impressed me more than anybody this year, Grand Island and Kearney, more specifically Grand Island. That's a very veteran team. Coach Tomlin, his squads are always very physical, and they've got a really good uh, quarterback in Carson Cahoy. Kevin Suits with us, the sports director at 10-11, uh, talking about some high school sports, the fall sports starting to wind down. Some of the outdoor sports, at least, are kind of putting the cap on their season and catching a break with some really good weather uh, the last couple of days and through the weekend, which will certainly help the state softball tournament get going. We're enjoying, Kevin, as you mentioned earlier, a bye week, and I don't know how to act. I mean, last year Nebraska didn't have one. There was a couple years ago they didn't get one until after they played 11 games. This just seems odd. I, I'm not complaining. This seems odd. Odd, doesn't it? It seems odd, and then there's another one in a few weeks, too. So, you know, I've looked at the college football schedule and tried to say, you know, I have a day where I'm not going to be spending most of my time watching just one game or following one game. What do I want to watch? And I still don't know the answer to that. Not to mention, uh, we have some family activities on, on Saturday with kids being involved in different activities. So uh, I don't know that there's going to be much sitting on the couch and watching. But, yeah, great. It's just it's just different. You know, I feel like we should be talking to Coach Frost and Coach Walters, Coach Shenander, and still getting a feel for what's happening. But uh, to kind of peel back, I think that's a really good for everybody, though, especially because we didn't need to belabor the point. No one needed to with what happened in Minnesota. So it's time we move on, and I think that that bye week actually serves them well. It comes at a pretty good time. Kevin, how surprised were you with the way the game unfolded the other night in Minneapolis? I was shocked. You know, I really thought that it would be a pretty close game. I didn't know if Nebraska would win, but it just felt like the vibe around the team, especially during pregame warmups. I tried to wait and see what was going to happen at the quarterback position and just see how the team behaved as they arrived at the stadium. And I got a pretty good sense. And Scott seemed extremely loose before the Minnesota game. So I thought that they were going to come out and play with a little bit of fire, but certainly that was lacking. I, I think what was most shocking to me was the inability to tackle. You knew Minnesota was going to run it in Nebraska, uh, so it wasn't a surprise that they were coming right at the Blackshirts, but their inability to bring the running back down on first contact, that really shocked me. I think that there was uh, just some failure to rely on technique for some of those players and some veteran players too. So that's what was most puzzling to me. 
What what do you you know? Obviously, it's it's almost it's not they're not mathematically eliminated from winning the Big Ten West, but it's it's a huge uphill climb with a couple of losses in the league and the way that Wisconsin is playing. In your eyes, what would be a realistic goal for this team to accomplish between now and the end of the season? Just make a bowl game. They're two wins away, and I don't think you can get too caught up in what the final win total is, given the nature of uh, the two most recent losses with Ohio State and Minnesota. You know, I think that this is where Scott probably needs to just talk to the boys and say, we are truly going to focus on getting day by day, uh, better, better day by day, and let the wins and losses happen for themselves. Because if you look at the schedule and try to project win totals and loss totals, it, that's a slippery slope because, one, college football is crazy, and you can never predict what's going to happen. There are going to be upsets along the way. Um, and, two, you can look at that schedule and say, well, they play Wisconsin and Iowa, and they're going to lose both of those games just based on uh, record matchup and all that stuff right now. You know, I'm not ruling Nebraska out from beating either of those two teams. I know that sounds crazy because the most recent example was not the best performance from Nebraska, but if Nebraska plays Colorado first half, half uh, S, they've got a shot to beat anybody in the division, and I truly feel that. And what's to say Wisconsin's going to keep playing at the level that they're playing at? They're good. I'm not going to downgrade the or, or talk bad about the Badgers, but they probably have a bad game in them or two later in the season. What's to say that doesn't happen when they come to Lincoln? No doubt. Kevin Suits with us from uh, 1011 Sports, uh, apparently a big NHL fan because every time we don't talk NHL, I hear from you. <laughs> is, that, is, this, is this accurate? This is very accurate. You know, I've got a long story about how he became an NHL fan. I'll try to sum it up real quickly. I didn't know much about the sport as a youngster, and I wrote a letter to the Chicago Blackhawks. My mother put it in the mail. This is snail mail time. And I just said, I don't know anything about hockey, but I want to just kind of kick the tires on this. And they sent me the biggest care package. So not only did that, them sending something back to me, uh, make me an NHL fan. It made me a Chicago Blackhawks fan for life. I got the team's media guide, an autographed team photo, the NHL rules book. There was so much in there. It was the coolest thing, and I still have all of those items. So apparently the Blackhawks, is that your team, right? That's my team. They're kind of on the on the decline right now, but we had a about five or six extremely successful years in there, and some of those guys are still on the squad. So apparently you were not a fan of the Blues winning the Stanley Cup last summer. No, no, not at all. Even the glorious story, you know, with the music and then the young lady that they uh, really just uh, kind of used as an inspiration for their Stanley Cup journey as much as that, that was a feel-good story for a lot of people. I had a hard time coming <laughs> to grips with who won the cup last year. <laughs> well, Kevin, we appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule. I know this is really, even with the off week for the Huskers, a lot of high school activities, a lot of excitement. I know those kids get so excited about their state championships, whether it be in softball or uh, cross country, golf, tennis, as you mentioned, and the football playoffs are always a, a hoot. So we appreciate you taking time. Thanks so much. We'll see you at the press conference on Monday. You got it, Greg. It's always great to chat with you. That will put a wrap on this show. Thanks to Teddy Greenstein and Kevin Suits for being stars of our 8 o'clock hour. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Mick, to everybody for being a part of this one tonight and for you for listening to us. We will do this all again tomorrow night. Good night. Good night.